And please stand this morning as we read from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You may be seated. We've been studying through the uh, book of Mark. Let's see here. I should be on. These videotapes are so kind of important to get me with mic on. Otherwise, the videotape is like, which is good if you're like really good with uh, reading lips, but it doesn't do that. <laughs> we're on te- we're on local television. Uh, little known fact, we have a we're on five times a week uh, for uh, Monterey County, the uh, Comcast cable on uh, public access. We've been on uh, since 2001. One of our uh, dear saints in the church named Bob Roos, elderly retired pastor, uh, had heard about this opportunity, and it's free, you know. (laughs) And uh, he started bugging me about it, you know. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, we could do that, Bob. You know, maybe, okay, sure, maybe, you know. But then he said, no, Nate, you really need to do this, you know. So I said, well, okay, you know. So anyway, for five years I've been preaching on cable television. I am a TV evangelist. (laughs) But uh, anyway, all that to say, that's why we videotape it and uh, and use it uh, it in that way. What a great honor. We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark, and it, it is with fear and trembling that I ever, ever stand up here and open the Bible. That's the honest to goodness truth. Uh, given that this is the Word of God, and I am, I'm called upon to publicly represent the Word accurately, carefully, lovingly, hopefully passionately and persuasively. Uh, and I'm so thankful. We've been singing these great worship songs this morning, so thankful for the truth of, We're saved by grace, not by works, 
I, you know, no one deserves their salvation. No one deserves uh, the grace of God. It's a gift of God. He, we're, all, we're all sinners. And what we have earned, what we've really worked hard to deserve is damnation, is, is literal punishment, is separation from God. But we're saved by grace and by grace alone. Uh, his love is as high as the sky. And his uh, righteousness is, is as big as the mountains. I love mountains. Don't you love mountains? California, we're, we're, we have Mount Whitney. It's the highest peak in the lower 48. Uh, it's a beautiful, big, ugly-looking, teethy mountain. Go ahead, Google it sometime, take a look at it. Be, be proud of your state. That's the, we're the highest one right there. But that's how big, you know, nature's there to show us how big God is. And then it said his, his justice, the song says his justice flows like the ocean tide. You know, just, just a few feet over there, several, a mile and a half, two miles out there is deep, deep ocean, uh, you know, like two miles deep ocean. Um, the, the crevice that comes in, the, the canyon that comes in. Imagine that water, it's dark, and there's fish in there like, oh, <laughs> like the ugliest things you can possibly imagine. There's this one, right, that has this little dangly thing that lights up. It's like a, a lure right in front of him. It brings little helpless little fish. He goes, ah! <laughs> um, but try to stop the ocean. Uh, try to try to slow down the ocean. You 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 cannot do it. It's massive. It, it moves, and that's the justice of God. And really, when we come to the cross of Christ, that's what is illustrated. Jesus died because of the justice of God. He took the massive flow of demand, the demand that sin be paid for. He paid it all. Yeah. I can't pay it all. I can't pay any of it. Um, but Jesus pays it all. And, and yet, uh, of course, we come to the Easter passage today, and the resurrection of Christ uh, is the stamp of approval, it is the, uh, the, the means by which God says that it, it is paid in full. I accept the payment. The sacrifice has been made, and we can, we can stand justified, free. The chains have been broken off, and we're, we're clean in Jesus, washed. No matter whatever sin we have committed, it's washed, and we're clean before God. And Satan will keep whispering, you're guilty, you're a dog, you're a you're un unworthy, and you just, just agree with him. Yeah, you're right, I'm unworthy. But Jesus has paid it all. He's amazingly worthy. And it's like, you can't stop the ocean of God's grace. Um, I love Mark. Uh, the, the, we're coming to the very end of it. We probably have one more message uh, next week uh, that will finish up the last part of it. But what's really awesome... Uh, Oh, and we could, we could, in the five-hour version of this sermon, <laughs> we, 
we could go through and we could trace through the book of Mark how many times there's this reality that the disciples are presented in a less than favorable light. You know, they're, they're, they're faulty, they make mistakes, they don't get it right, they don't understand, they don't listen, uh, over and over and over again. And honestly, this is how it ends. Uh, our dear, our, the women are the heroes here at the end. Notice their biggest fear was, how are we going to roll that stone back, you know? The way they constructed these stones, uh, it's, stone was like a chiseled into a, a wheel, and it was in a trough, you know, it was high and it goes down. So you'd roll it, you'd take out the chalk and roll it down in front of the tomb, uh, because, see, the body would be in there, and it, it would be not... Uh, messed with for about a year and it would rot and then they'd go in and they'd scrape the bones and put the bones in a, a bone box ossuary I think it's called and then reuse the tomb of course Jesus had a brand new tomb it was, it was uh, like I said last week if you're Jewish th this tomb is in the best place possible east of Jerusalem brand new hewn out of the rock the rock of ages cleft for me is put into the, the rock and a stone guards him and their biggest worry is, how are we going to deal with that stone, right? And you got to say, where's these 11 capable men? You know what they're doing? They're shivering in a, in a room. Oh, I'm so scared. They were freaking out. They're totally melting down. <laughs> With very good reason, because the Romans have no shortage of crosses. Crosses. <laughs> There's no shortage of crosses. They could all be crucified at the whim of Rome. But, but they let the women and, and, and strangers like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they're the ones who really risked a great deal to get Jesus off the cross, get him into that new tomb. And now, you know, praise God for the women. Praise God for the women. They're loyal to Jesus. They love him. They're out there demonstrating love. But, but I just want to say, as we work through this today, this is what they hear. He is risen. He is not here. But oh, would you like to turn on the back monitor for me? That might be handy. Then I can... It's okay. The, notice, let's just look through the text. When, when the Sabbath was, pa was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. It was such a rush job. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible says they, they put 75 pounds of spices on Jesus and wrapped him in a, a shroud which they bought at the market called Turin, the Shroud of Turin. No, that's a joke. Okay, that I see some guys nodding. No, that was a joke. <laughs> it's like Walmart, you know. No, no. Uh, <laughs> the Shroud of Turin is a fake. But anyway, but they wrap him in this... You know, if you've ever picked a bag of cement up, it's either 60 or 80 pounds usually. That's how much spices they put in there. And the ladies, they said, that's not enough. We've got to come with more. What are the spices for? I'll take, take an answer from the field. What, 
What do you think the spices are for? Preservation? Absolutely. There's also a matter of what? Uh, the smell. The smell. This body's going to be in there for a year, and for the first several months, it's going to stink to high heaven. And it's kind of embarrassing, probably, for the family. So they want to wrap him in these spices that will, that will preserve the body, slow the rotting, but it'll cover the, the stink of his rotting flesh. It's kind of, kind of uh, harsh to say that, but that's the deal. Now, just wait a minute, ladies. Uh, Jesus said three or four times, they're going to kill me, and I will rise again on the third day. What about that didn't you understand? I'm not trying to be harsh on these women. I love these women, but they've got it wrong. He's not going to need the spices, hallelujah. <laughs> he's, he's not going to rot. Even the scripture says, I will not allow my Holy One, to see corruption. Jesus' flesh never rotted. He would come back to life. It would re-oxygenate. It's this amazing, unbelievable miracle. His heart is dead for three days. His lungs are totally useless. And imagine that moment. <gasps> Big breath. Boom, boom, boom. Heartbeats. He's still a human being. He walks. He talks, he eats. I don't understand exactly how this all fits together, mind you, but he is a human being in the flesh. And these dear ladies, we love them, but this whole effort is, is a waste of time. And their biggest concern is the rock. This is not the rock. This is just a big rock, okay? That's their biggest concern. How are we going to get this rock out of the way? Uh, which, again, I understand that, but it's like... You missed listening to his word. He said several times, I will rise again. Uh, and they should have known that. Their biggest concern was practical. How can we get that huge stone removed? I, th I think here's the beautiful thing about this. The biggest wonder of this wonderful story is, once again, these are his most ardent, faithful followers and they are showing that you're saved by grace. <laughs> you're not saved because you get it. Or you're so sophisticated, you understand. No, these people are saved because of the grace of God, the aggressive grace of God that makes them his own sheep. That's how any of us are saved. We're depending on God completely. Uh, we're, we are not depending on our own ability or our own uh, wisdom to understand this. The, the beautiful wonder is that God does His work whether we expect it or not. His, His justice is like the ocean tide. You can't stop God. And whether you believe it or not, you know, God exists and the Bible is true and it's going to happen exactly the way God said it would happen. Here's a, a, a Quote. Let's see, do I? Let me just second here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dead end. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, our faith would, the, the Apostle Paul says, our faith would be empty and we would be of all people to be pitied. You, you, 
Christianity without a risen Jesus is a waste of time. You know, shut it down. Don't go there at all. Here's a quote from uh, a modern-day theologian. His name is uh, Ladd, George Ladd. You can't quite read it very well. I'll read it for you. It says, If Christ is not risen from the dead, the long course of God's redemptive acts to save his people ends in a dead-end street, in a tomb. If the resurrection of Christ is not reality, then we have no assurance that God is the living God. For death has the last word. Faith is futile because the object of that faith has not vindicated himself as the Lord of life. Christian faith is then incarcerated. Imagine that. I love that turn of phrase. That's kind of why I picked out this quote. He says, our faith is like locked up in the jailhouse, in the big house. Uh, if Christ is not raised, then our faith is incarcerated in the tomb along with the final and highest self-revelation of God in Christ. If Christ is indeed dead, but if Christ is raised from the den, dead, then God is sovereign over all, even death itself. And as I said, Jesus has predicted this again and again, and he is alive, he's risen, he's not stuck. I'm going to get to that quote a little later. Go to this one right now. Um, Look with me at Romans 10. Romans, if you have a Bible, Romans 10. Verse 9, we're talking about why is it important that Jesus really did rise from the dead? Can't we just have a faith that's sort of a, kind of a feel good and be nice, be kind, and improves people? It does good works. Uh, we help people. We build hospitals. We help orphans. We, uh, we should be, by the way, we should be aggressive on helping immigrants and uh, and those in, in dire need, uh, refugees of wars, you know, Christians should be involved with all of those things. But if our faith isn't centered on a resurrected Christ, then it's just human. It's just do goodism. And look at John, uh, Romans 10. I haven't read this often enough. It's such a key little passage. Um, let's read verse 5 and following. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart, That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the the faith that Jesus rose from the dead is essential. You cannot be saved. You can't be justified in the sight of God. You're, you're, You're condemned and in your sin. You're not saved if you don't believe that God raised him from the dead. 
That's how important it is. It's essential that Christ really came back to life, and he is alive today. The Bible says he's coming back, and, and you'll be in the same room with him. You'll see him one day, every eye, every human being who's ever existed, everybody, even the scoffer, the atheist, the person who says there is no God, the person who lives his life completely without God, they will see Christ with their eyes. It's, it's the most amazing reality. Uh, and, and you have to believe that God raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved. It says, verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. See, upon what basis will I not be put to shame? Will I come to God and say, look at my life, look at my record? I pretty much did it, right? I was really good. I was really good. Don't look at that part. (laughs) Don't look over there. (laughs) No, no, no. In Jesus, I will not be put to shame. In me, I will be put to shame. My sin has been paid for by Christ and by Christ alone. So it's whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a wonderful reality of what the gospel is. I wanted to pull in this quote from another. This is a modern-day theologian. His name is Daniel Wallace. He's a professor at a great seminary called Dallas Theological Seminary. And listen to what he says. I love how he puts this. Some of us put so much emphasis on the death of Christ that we neglect his resurrection. But to do that is to make the gospel less offensive than it was intended. See, the gospel is a preposterous story. It's called foolishness for those who are perishing, for those who are not being saved. It is foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's a quote from the Bible. Why? Both because it is a message about a dead Jew hanging on a Roman cross that purports to have some relevance to my life, and because that dead Jew allegedly came to life again. I mean, this, this is the marvel, the miracle, the blow-you-away reality of what our faith is about. This is what our faith is about, see? That Jesus died on this Roman cross for my sins. He was buried, and he rose again. Uh, it's not a fable. It's not a myth. It says, and precisely because of this, he can forgive my sins. Now that, my friends, is a foolish, foolish message to those who are on their way to hell. And people just laugh at this. It's ridiculous to believe that. Uh, What does it take to believe this? Believe it or not, it takes God's miracle in us to open our heart and mind to have full conviction of this. And in a moment, I'll show you that in the Word of God too. To those who are on their way to hell. And admittedly, it took plenty of persuasive powers for God to convince us otherwise. 
So, another question I wanted to ask. Who participated in the resurrection of Jesus? I think this is kind of amazing. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture quickly. Galatians chapter 1. There's this four Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. A nice little set of books. Uh, find any one of them. First one is Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, the very first verse, puts it this way. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But look at Romans 8.11 now. Back to where we were in Romans. Chapter 8, verse 11, says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So here now, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So God the Father, God the Spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, if the Holy Spirit, he had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, if he lives in you, he has the power to give you life. I don't have the power to give me life. I have to depend on God, the Spirit, to breathe into me, to enliven me in order that I can know God, in order that I can live for God, in order that I can have victory in my life living for God. And let's look at one last passage. Um, oh, well, let's look at a couple of them. Look at John, or both in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 2. Who participated in raising Jesus from the dead? You, you probably forget out where we're going with this. Uh, I've got the Father, I've got the Holy Spirit, who's missing? It would be Jesus Christ himself. But I want to show you that in a couple of places. I'm getting there slowly. John chapter 2. I got this relatively new Bible. And the pages don't participate. <laughs> Here's John chapter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It says this. Well, let's read verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So here it is. The Father, the Spirit, and Christ himself participated in Raising Jesus from the dead. They all did it. By the way, they're all one. There's one and three. Three persons. One God. Look with me now. We're going to spend a little time in John 10. I read John 10 last week. And we want to spend in our final minutes just a couple of uh, minutes in this great passage of Scripture. I've been thinking about it all week. We'll just uh, cut in to... Uh, let's Let's look at verse 11 and on, John 10, 11. I, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Remember last week I made the point that uh, Pilate was really surprised that Jesus had died so quickly. And I made the point that Jesus didn't die because the Romans killed him. He tells us that he literally laid down his life. He willingly died. He willed himself to death. Uh, I, I'm not overreading that. You'll see it here in this text. He lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. That's some deep waters right there. If you're a sheep of Jesus, at, at some level, you, you know Jesus. And at some level, you don't even have a struggle with the resurrection. Because you just know it. You, you know it happens. How, you know how that happens? It's the Holy Spirit uh, enlightening you, illuminating your heart and, and your mind. To I, I mean, I... I literally don't struggle intellectually with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I just don't. Why is that? It's a, it's a miracle. It's a spirit uh, opening our hearts and minds to this great truth that is the center of our faith. And here it is. This is the mark that shows I am one of the sheep of Jesus because I know this. I believe it with all my heart. Um, and, and I hope you do too. He says this, um, verse, that's verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. See, that's, that's um, immediate, full-on knowledge. Because the Father and the Son know each other like nobody's ever known each other before. And at some level, they, don't, they, they, they know everything about each other. And Jesus is saying, that's how well I know my sheep and ultimately, my sheep know me that well. Okay, let me just read the text without a whole lot more explanation, sorry. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, how cool is that? I, I pointed this out last week. You don't go to a funeral, watch that corpse in the casket there and think, at any minute, that guy's going to say, I think I'll get up now. <laughs> I think I'll raise myself up out of this casket. I mean, it would be pretty amazing. But, but that's what Jesus did. The Father, the Spirit, and Jesus himself raised Jesus up from the dead. He says, I have the power and authority to lay it down, and I have the power and authority to lift my life up again. It's huge. It's, it's uh, so beautiful. Verse 17, uh, I, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, the Romans didn't kill him. He was on their torture machine, and yes, physically dying, but he said, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. He let himself go. He willed to die for you and for me. Uh, 
I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Uh, there was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. These are di dis divisive words. Crazy. Uh, not just like blah, 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 blah. Like a lot of times that's what I sound like to you. <laughs> but when Jesus speaks, it's like, Wow! That's the word of God. It's amazing. It, 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 it divides people. You either hate it or you love it. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So where am I going with all this? I'm saying that this Jesus, who was raised by the Father, by the Spirit, and by himself, he is the one who is our good shepherd, who lays down his life for us, and through him we are his sheep forever. So, ending here, this, the greatest words in this text are this, he, he has risen. <laughs> he really, he has. The, the scripture states it, and then it tells us many times when Jesus appeared to people afterwards, like I said, he, he was hungry, he cooked breakfast for the guys one time, uh, and he, he commissioned them. He was on the earth uh, 50 days after he rose from the dead. But where does Mark leave us in our passage today? It, it's, it's, it's a kind of a beautiful thing. Because he leaves us with the women uh, sort of befuddled. And uh, it says this, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone. I, that wasn't permanent, but for a period of time, they couldn't bring themselves to say anything, for they were afraid. And I think this is a great place to end uh, today's message, that none of us are perfect, and our faith may be shaky at times, like all of the heroes in this story, and even these women who are heroes for us, and go back to Mark 9. This is a quote from, from Mark 9 that I have on the screen there. Uh, it's a story of a man who wants to get his child healed. It's a beautiful story. We're going to interrupt it. Um, just look at verse 20 and following. It says, And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. This young boy was possessed by a demon. And Jesus asked the father, How long 
has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. So I've proclaimed in this word, we are to believe in Jesus, believe that he died for our sins, that he rose again from uh, the dead, and believe that all things are possible. You will be saved, he says. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to them, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, so why do I end the story here? Because uh, we come imperfectly uh, to Jesus and all of his followers were imperfect. But we should come with that, at least this prayer. Lord, I do believe. uh, Help me when I'm feeling feeble and frail and faulty and challenged and overcome and fearful. And I want to hide in an upper room. You know, well, I, I want to be with the disciples. I want to hide under, under, you know, a chair and wait for life to pass me by. Uh, so help my unbelief, Lord. Strengthen me by your Spirit. I confess I need you uh, completely to be my strength. Where does Mark leave us? He tells us honestly that the first few hours after the resurrection were horrible. Although Jesus reassured them repeatedly that he would rise from the dead, they did not get it. How did they ever get it? (laughs) He revealed himself to them. And 50 days later, God poured the Holy Spirit upon them. John 16 says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are come. This text pushes us to believe. Believe. Trust in Jesus Christ. He did die for our sins. He rose in victory over our sins. He paid the penalty. It's accepted by God. We're clean because of Jesus. We're forgiven. God has accepted the sacrifice. The work is accomplished. Jesus said that on the cross. It is finished. And the word is true. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together today. We worship and praise you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the amazing words that the the angel said to the ladies. He is not here. He is risen. We say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Please join me. He is risen. Risen indeed. We say hallelujah. We love you. We look forward to seeing you. Prepare us for that day. Wash us clean. Help us to live for you in strength and courage. 
Help us to crawl out from underneath our hiding place to be courageous and be your people. Be our shepherd, O Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. God bless you. We'll see you right after uh, in 15 or 20 minutes. We'll have lunch downstairs. It's an amazing lunch. Y'all come.